Well, hi, everybody. Man, it's like half the seats emptied when our kids left. All right, well, now I'll have a little space to wiggle around. Uh, my name is Joy, and I'm here to do part two of the worship, um, why we worship in the vineyard that I started a couple weeks ago, actually. So I'm excited. I just wanted to review where we started last week. I won't review the whole thing I did two weeks ago, but um, kind of the main points. There's many ways to define worship, to understand what worship is. Um, So I just kind of chose to focus in on a couple aspects of it. The first one, I put it this way, worship. And if you were here, you remember we had some little hand motions. Worship was an action of our spirit in which our body participates. Anybody remember? All right, I'll make you do it at the end of the service again. You're not going to get out of it. Okay, and then the second one that we're going to talk about more this week is worship is a sight that changes us and the circumstances around us. And then to summarize both of those, doing worship as a community together is a really core value of our Vineyard Church and of the other Vineyard Churches that are around the world and uh, in this country. All right, Uh, two weeks ago I started out my talk trying to be funny. And I say trying because my personality type is naturally quite serious. And often people around me crack a joke and then they have to tell me that that was a joke. And uh, when I joke, usually people don't get my jokes. I was, <laughs> I was thinking about this one time one of my children decided, we were eating a banana, and they decided to um, take a bite of the banana peel. And he suddenly stopped himself and asked, are banana peels poisonous? Now, raise your hand if you were taught as a kid that banana peels were poisonous. Okay, see, I'm not the only one. They are not. But I decided to just be so silly that surely he would know it was a joke. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're going to die. And I thought, like, I was exaggerating so bad that he would laugh. And instead he burst into tears because apparently I don't joke very much. And he thought I was being serious. And so there I am, and I'm trying to comfort my son, and my husband's getting on Google to prove to him that banana peels are not poisonous, and he's really not going to die. And I spent the next several hours apologizing to him and trying to convince him that I I was trying to make a joke, and he was going to be fine. And uh, just so you know, that was a couple years ago, and he still brings it up sometimes. So maybe I'm not not so good with the jokes. So today's talk, I'm just going to keep it real serious. Um, So I wanted to begin today with a lengthy reading of a poem in Psalms. We all know that Psalms is a book full of poetry and worship and um, a lot of also very interesting things, as the Bible is full of very interesting things. And the majority of the book of Psalms was written by King David. We know him as a worshiper. Um, David was not what I would call a comedian. He spent many pages of our Bible lamenting about his woes and calling down curses on his enemies. And somehow in the middle of that, he was also a man after God's own heart and a great worshiper. And we know this because in between all the whining and cursing of enemies, he describes the power and the beauty of God that he trusts in. And he pauses in the midst of his little soap opera, self-centered soap opera, to look upon the God he knows and allow his spirit to respond in worship. So here we are in Psalm 31. It's not on the screen because it's kind of long, but if you have a Bible with you and you want to pull it out, help yourself. Psalm 31, starting in verse 9. I'm going to try to read this with a little drama. (laughs) Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. 
My life is consumed by anguish and my years with groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead, and I have become like broken pottery. For I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O God. I say, you are my Lord. My days are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those people who pursue me. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. How great is your goodness that you have stored up and stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. Be strong and take heart, all of you who put your hope in the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Though through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, when I read this verse, the word that stuck out to me is, you know, slanted, which was continually. And it just crossed my mind as there's other parts of scripture that tell us things like pray without ceasing. And, and every time you encounter that, you think continually, really? Like, how would I do, I mean, I don't even do very many things at all continually. I breathe. I, if I'm not sleeping, I'm probably thinking, unless you're a guy and you're in your nothing box and you're not thinking while you're in the nothing box. You're just in the nothing, right? If you're a woman, you're probably feeling continuously. Uh, we're probably digesting somewhat continuously, but that's subconscious, Right? So what happens when we don't want to praise? We're not only like just stuck in like, how would I do this continually? But I don't really feel like doing it continually. And what struck me is we can praise as somehow this undercurrent of our life continuously because in reality we are not prevented from worshiping if we are sad or we are angry or we are broke or we are suicidal or we just lost our job, or we just lost our spouse or our child. Because we engage our spirit, the part of us that is eternal, in worship. And then our spirit tells our body and our emotions and our mind to come into alignment with the truth that says there is a God and he loves you through all things. Going back to King David, we know he started out his life as a young man, as a boy, out in the fields with sheep, taking care of sheep. That was a really romantic job, I'm sure. Lots of stinking, lots of pooping, lots of alone time, lots of practicing with a slingshot. But a lot of nature, a lot of being surrounded by the quietness and the peace of God. And I really truly believe that that was a core part of his foundation that set him up for being a lifelong worshiper. And, you know, the course of his life, if you have followed it at all, was really ups and downs. There was 
you know, victory in there. There's defeat in there. There's adultery in there. There's murder in there. Um, there's conspiracy in there. There's passion for God in there. There's dancing joyfully and unashamed and worshiping God in front of the whole country in there. I mean, there's just this, you know, lifespan like all of us, the good and the bad. And somehow in the middle of that, we still see these pockets where he says, I worship you, and I worship you in this, and I worship you in this, and I worship you through this, and I worship you in this place. And now, at this point in history, after the coming of Jesus, we have the chance, the honor, to be in the direct presence of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes we just stand around picking our nose during worship, I'm sorry, nobody picks their nose anymore. We have, right? <laughs> Who needs to waste your time picking your nose when you have a phone in your hand or your back pocket? So obviously, I think we know in our heads that during worship, our experience should be Jesus capturing us, ravishing our hearts, taking our breath away, intoxicating us. And if that's not what you're experiencing and you're like, ha ha, I challenge you, it's possible, and it's possible for you too. Jesus started this journey of sacrifice with his sacrifice of his very own self. And when we meet him in worship, we bring our sacrifice. So I wanted to tell you a story um, from my life of my pregnancy with my third child. And some of you have heard some of this story, and for some of you it will be new. Um, I had my first two children. They were pretty stable pregnancies, pretty normal. They were both born at home without any complications, and that was hard and amazing at the same time. And so I had imagined something similar for my third child. And along the way, somewhere in the middle of my pregnancy, I just started to get this feeling that the Lord was taking me on a journey of trusting him in a new way. And at one point, my midwife asked me, so do you have this feeling like something's going to go wrong? And I said, not really, like I don't have a bad feeling. I just have this sense that the Lord is telling me that I could journey with him through anything, even if it meant the loss of this child. And I'm not saying I want to experience that, but somehow I feel him telling me that he's with me in a way that's new that I've never really experienced in my life. And one of the things that I started to do during that season, um, because I'd heard a lot about this whole praying continuously thing that I referenced earlier, and I decided I like to sing, and songs are easier to memorize than Bible verses, and in some ways, songs just come naturally to me. And so I latched on to a phrase from a song, and I'd love to do that song here, but besides the phrase I'm going to tell you, the whole rest of the song is just really complicated, and I don't think it would, it would just be hard to sing. But I'll tell you this part, and maybe someday we'll just sing this part only. Um, and so it goes like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness I'll dance. In the shadows I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I found myself singing that periodically as I was cooking or however. And um, so halfway through my pregnancy, somewhere in the 20-something weeks, um, I was electrocuted. And I had to look up the definition of electrocuted because I thought maybe that's not the right word to use when I'm standing on a stage and I need to be accurate. And I was wrong. The definition of electrocution is death or serious injury. Praise God, neither of those things happened. But I did get an electric shock. My hands were wet. I reached to switch off a lamp, and somehow the electricity passed through the switch. I had enough water to go in and make a connection. And I wasn't wearing shoes, so I'm Googling. And, of course, Googling anything when you're pregnant is a really bad idea, or really for any type of injury for that matter. 
And Google was telling me that if I had been wearing shoes, that, this, that the signal would have passed from my hand through my heart and out both my hands. But since I wasn't wearing shoes, it would have passed down through the core of my body, through my uterus and my womb, and down through my feet into the ground. Um, and I immediately just put my hands on my belly. And this particular baby is, if you know Levi, he's happy, he's fun, he's a chill kind of person. So he chilled a lot in the womb. And I just put my hands and I said, Lord, please let him live. And then I sat down on the couch and I just like shoving my belly around trying to get him to wake up and move. And pretty soon he's like kick in. And I'm like, okay, at least you're alive. Um, and then I spent a good portion of the rest of that day out in this uh, green belt behind my house with the other two kids, just kind of letting them walk around and run around. And every time that I just started to worry, like, what's going to happen? Is he going to be okay? I just sang, the joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness I'll dance, in the shadows I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Around 30 or 32 weeks of pregnancy, which if you know the weeks, there's 40 total. So getting toward the two-third mark, I started to just have this itching kind of all over my body. It was worse than my feet. And one day I was at work and I was scratching my ankles until they bled. And I thought, hmm, it's probably not normal. <laughs> probably not the bug bites of being, you know, I thought at first I was like, maybe we were hiking and some bug or some plant or whatever. And it just getting kind of getting worse and worse. I get my midwife a call and she says, hey, just come on in. We'll do some blood work. It's probably fine. There's a couple different reasons that could be happening, but we'll just do some blood work to rule it out and make sure that, you know, we know everything's fine. So we run the blood work, and it doesn't come back fine. And uh, it was around 35 weeks by this point before the time, and all the blood work goes by. And the diagnosis that I got was something called cholestasis, which I had never heard of up to that point. Um, and it basically means that my liver was not doing a good job of filtering for my body or for the baby's body. And so just toxins that are in your body that your liver is supposed to filter out and flush out, it was instead passing through to the baby. And so the placenta is then trying to do the job of my liver in filtering. Um, and what will happen that they know of cholestasis, they don't know what causes it, they don't know how to fix it. They just know that it eventually, the longer you stay pregnant, will cause stillbirth because those toxins will build up in the baby's body and system and the baby's liver can't process it. And eventually it just builds up and the baby is just passes away in the womb. And so the only way they know how to fix it is to take the baby out. And they decided since I was 35 weeks that they would prefer to wait till I was full term, which was 37 weeks. So I get all of this diagnosis. I get all of this information. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll dance. In the shadows, I'll sing. The joy of the Lord strength and about that time my pregnancy I had uh, kind of used that scripture up I had sang it so many times and I thought I might need something new hang on to here and my mom um, sends me this song which you probably have heard because it's really popular this is how I fight my battle it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you and that song hit home. And so that became the song then for those next few weeks. So I had two weeks to wait from my diagnosis to when I was going to be induced. And if you know anybody who's done 
like a home birth or a natural birth with a midwife, like the way you approach that in your mind is really different than approaching, I'm going to go to a hospital and I'm going to submit to what the hospital tells me to do. I'm going to do what the doctor tells me to do um, and I'm, because they're the expert. You know? And when you're choosing to be at home and you're surrounding yourself with a midwife and a good team, you really just want to let nature take its, take its course. You believe your body can do this. And so I just thought, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to a hospital. I just I hate hospitals. And I don't want to go have them stick me with a bunch of stuff. I've, I've never done this before. I've had two beautiful home births with just letting God and my body do what they were designed to do. And so my midwife and I had a long talk, and she decided that, even though it was not normal within midwifery care because I'd had two great births before that she was willing to try to induce me at their birth center. So we'd be across the street from a hospital rather than in my home. And um, she would, you know, like without being TMI, like break my water and use some herbs and things that were all natural and just to see if my body would respond to that and go into labor on my own and then continue labor on my own. And we had a medical doctor that they use on call at the hospital. So if anything went wrong or even just stalled out and we were like, it's not working and we've decided we need to get a baby out, that then I could go to the hospital and do whatever the hospital needed to do. Um, And honestly, that was really scary for me to think about, you know, something else kind of taking charge of my physical body and having to submit my body to this process uh, that was kind of forced. And I didn't know how that was going to end up for my body. I didn't know how that was going to end up for my baby. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how you fight my battles. This is how you fight our battles. The induction was successful. He was born in the birth center, in the water type of birth that I wanted. And by a few hours after his birth, he just wasn't breathing well. And my midwife said, you can go home, but he's not going home. He's going to go to the hospital. So they called an ambulance. This is, and uh, this is what he looked like the next day when I got to go see him in NICU. And nobody could ever figure out what went wrong with him. The research that I've done on my own says it probably was the cholestasis, that it affected the surfactant that's in the lungs that allows them to breathe properly because technically he was full term. Um, And he was there for 16 days. And those were some of the hardest, longest 16 days of my life. They're doing x-rays every day. They're poking his heel for blood work several times a day. Any of you who have gone through a NICU experience or you have a close friend who has, you know how intense that time is and you have kids at home that want to see you and so you're and I was physically recovering from blood loss and everything that happens with a normal birth and getting pushed in a wheelchair and I'll tell you who surrounded me at that time was this church and there were those of you who showed up when I was sick in bed with a high fever when he was three days old and you held him so he didn't have to be alone and you brought food to our house This is how we fight our battles with each other, with the Lord, with his power, with worship. He finally came home after 16 days, which was one of the best days, but a hard day. He came home with an oxygen tube on his face, and he needed that for the next three months. That was another interesting challenge. Um, But he eventually got it off. And he's been, as you can attest by watching him run around, peachy king ever since. 
And he is the most joyful child I've had, not to compare my kids, but he is full of laughter. And he just, I mean, he just laughs. He just sees something happening and he just laughs. And he looks at you and he smiles. He might not look at you and smile because he's like, don't take me away from my mom. But he's just full of the joy of the Lord. And see, cute. So I would not have gone through, and my my husband and we would not have gotten through that time without the body of Christ and without worship, because. What the Lord was teaching me during that season is I have been a lifelong worrier, not a life. I mean, I've been been a lifelong worshiper, but I've been a lifelong worrier. And the Lord was teaching me to fight my worry with worship and to to let faith come in in place of that worry by taking an action of worship with myself to sing. And you don't have to sing. If you don't sing, that's fine. You could speak it out. But but letting yourself come into a place with worship, because I didn't have the strength to do anything else. You know, each of those times I was encountered, but I had enough strength. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And when we do that, to an extent that we're doing that, we are being changed by worship. We are being transformed by worship. That sacrifice where instead of choosing, I'm just going to be miserable and worry. I, I sacrifice. I give to you, Lord, my worship and my praise. And we receive from him the strength that we need to go on. And, you know, not every story works out beautiful like this. You know, some of you have had things in your life where it, you don't have this great smiling kid at the end to think about. Um, Darlene Check, who's a pretty famous worship leader in Australia. Uh, she was talking, I was reading something from her where she was talking about worshiping the Lord in a similar way, but she ended up miscarrying the baby that she was praying for. And she said this about that experience. I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. So when worship is a cost for us, we are offering to him a beautiful sacrifice of our heart that says, I open myself to you. I lay myself at your feet. Now, suffering in our lives always changes us, right? But how it changes us depends on our response to it. And offering our worship as a sacrifice is one tool in our toolbox to make that suffering worth something good. So if you're in a hard time right now, or the next time you run into one, because there will be a next time, see if you can find song, a verse, a breath, Lord, I trust in you. You are good. I believe in you. And let that be your breath. Let that be your prayer. And let the repetition of it be one of the things that sustains you. I am not the same person as I was before I entered that journey. And what a beautiful thing the Lord has done because of all of that pain. All right. Worship changes the circumstances around us. This is a great story. I've been telling this story to my four-year-old this week because he had an experience that frightened him, and I was trying to use this story as an illustration. So this is um, its not on the screen again because it's long. But if you want to turn to it, it's Acts chapter 16. And this is Paul and Silas. They were preaching on the streets. Um, this is Jesus has died, resurrected, and now people are beginning to tell others about who Jesus was and what he did within the first few years after his death and resurrection. 
So I'll read, I'm going to read from the scripture and then I'll kind of talk about it a little bit. Once, while we were going, and the we is being narrated, Paul is the narrator here. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Wow. I mean, she was speaking the truth. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so irritated, he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized their hope of making money from her was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. Okay. The crowd got all riled up and they joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. I didn't tell that part to my four-year-old. The Bible is full of very interesting things, some of which you need to be older than four to comprehend, some of which we will never comprehend until we see him and speak to him and ask him, what was that all about? After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. And this is the point in the story where Paul and Silas say, What, God, you abandoned us. You don't love us. We were just doing what you told us to do. Now we're in jail. Why didn't you watch out for us? Why didn't you protect us? No, sorry, that's a different story. <laughs> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains fell off. The jailer woke up, and when he saw all the prison doors standing open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he figured the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, stop, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to know this God of yours? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to know Jesus, he and his whole household. Now, you're probably wondering what happened when the magistrates wake up and find out that the jailer who they told to keep their guys safe has taken them out and fed them and brought them to his house. And it turned out that they discovered that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and they weren't half supposed to treat the Roman citizens that way without a trial. And so they got all nervous and they just let them go. So everybody kind of got out free. So two of Jesus' followers get beaten up until they're almost dead. Then they're locked in the innermost cell of a prison, which I'm imagining was a really crappy place to be. Dark, wet, cold, hungry, bleeding. And change so they can't even move to their bodies to adjust to the pain of their wounds. 
And they were not depressed. They were not defeated. And they decided to fight their battle with worship. They began to defeat their suffering with praise. I don't think they were expecting there to be an earthquake. I just think they were expecting to sustain themselves through suffering by choosing to worship and praise God. And the rest of that story is just like icing on the cake. Can Grandpapa take you? Yeah, okay. So the next time you're awake in the middle of the night, suffering physically with illness, suffering emotionally from the crud in your life, try hosting a midnight worship ceremony. At a minimum, I hope it will sustain your spirit. And at a maximum, I hope you will see it actually change the circumstances around you, the power of God. Pastor Jack Hayford said this, Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. I read this and I thought, oh man, some of us are being changed into a hamburger. And a bunch of us are being changed into a cell phone. So let's pay attention to what we worship, to what we are doing continually. Because it's changing us. And let's not be worshiping the wrong thing by accident because we just weren't paying attention. During worship, here's some things I just kind of wrote down that I've seen happen during worship. We are changed into the likeness of Christ. The power of self is broken and defeated in our life. We can edify, edify, strengthen, and encourage the body of Christ around us as we worship corporately. We can expect to see miracles, salvation, we are sustained during suffering, and we give to the Lord something which costs us, something of value that's beautiful to him. All right. Doing worship within community is a core vineyard value. That's the next point. So we've said that worship is an action of our spirit in which our body participates. Worship is a sacrifice that changes us and the circumstances around us. And doing worship together within community is a core value that we have. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 through 20 says this. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why does it matter that we gather together here? What is happening as a result of us meeting here together that we couldn't accomplish by just staying home and watching some really cool cooler church service on YouTube because there's lots of those what's happening because we're here and we're together that's different what is different because we came and we gathered today and that's the power of community it's the power of connecting with each other and of connecting with God together the power of a corporate experience and it communicates every time you come you are not alone You're not crazy to be following Jesus. Okay, maybe you're crazy, but at least you're not the only crazy one. Let's all be a little more crazy together. Uh, One of our founders, John Wimber, he used to say this, I am a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? And doing things together can deepen that experience. And corporate worship in many ways is just like a baby step to us. Maybe you don't have any experiences of worship in your home on your own. And this is a baby step. It'll make you hungry and kind of rise you up to say, oh, 
I, I really do want more of the Lord, and I, I want to experience this more than, I mean, I want to experience it on Sunday, and, and I also want to experience this while I'm driving to work and when I'm at work, and and I want, when I'm going through something good even, I want to feel the joy of the Lord celebrating with me. And so in many ways, this small bit that we have here together is not enough to satisfy our longing for Jesus, but it's like a taste that refocuses us and brings us back in to that place. So let's be more foolish and more sacrificial and think about what, what am I going to have to give up in order to engage with God through worship? And maybe that's looking okay or looking weird or looking normal or whatever it is that you're worried about how you might look. Maybe that's something that we have to give up in order to engage with God more deeply. Maybe it's some time. Maybe it's time that we've been spending being transformed into a cell phone by giving our lives to that continually. Maybe we have to give some of that up in order to have space and margin to begin continually and more giving ourselves up to God and having space for him. And then what are we going to have to sacrifice to be here and to be a community group and to meet together? And not that this is, you know, the end-all be-all, but it's something. It's something where God is at work, drawing us together in a corporate experience to deepen and purify us. I was uh, watching a bunch of YouTube videos this week on worship because I'm also doing a worship um, small group this fall. And I came, in, I came into um, this one where they were doing like a backstage interview with this worship leader, and I had spent some time watching her lead worship, and so I was kind of curious to hear some of her heart in a candid way. And how she defined worship was, Worship is the most natural response when we behold him. And she said, it's when we are most ourselves. We were created for this. And during worship, we return. We come back to the truest sense of ourselves and back to our right mind and back to the mind of Christ. So in some ways, when you're in that place and you're thinking, this doesn't feel like me to lift my hands, or this doesn't feel like me to sing, or this doesn't feel like me to kneel, Maybe everything else is the you that's being purified and refined still, and this you that lifts your hands and this you that kneels before him is your truest self, and he's slowly refining the rest of you to bring you back into this place of connection with him where we can behold him, and then our hearts and our bodies just respond. And when we come to him, we are not coming to him perfect. And I mean, we know that, right? But, but we have to sometimes be reminded, bring, don't bring your mask. Bring yourself. Bring your bad day. Bring your marriage that's hanging on by a thread. Bring your anger and your dread over the choices your teens are making. Bring your fear that the next round of layoffs at work is coming. Bring your broken dreams And your promises that God has yet to fulfill. Bring your authentic, broken self. It's not like he doesn't know what's in our heart. And we don't really have any secrets from him. So then, lay all of that stuff down at his feet and behold him. Deposit all of that pain at his feet in worship. Those feet that have holes in them. 
those feet where blood spilled out to forgive your sin and all the sin that was done against you. Feet that are bringing good news. The good news that all are invited, that this community is all-inclusive, that all are loved. And let us do that together. We come for his presence. We come for his community. And when we gather, the agenda is his presence. Could we behold him together? Could we enjoy him together? All right. You ready to move? I forgot to ask the worship team to do a song at the end of the service today. I did that when I preached last, and it was great, but I forgot. So we're just going to spend some time in his presence um, without that. Maybe, Benjamin, you could get, be getting ready to play a song with no words. Worship is in action. Up. Worship is in action. Up. An action of our spirit, wiggly fingers, in which our body participates. Turn around. All right, you ready for the next one? Worship is a sacrifice that changes us. Hand over your heart. Changes the circumstances around us. And it's a corporate experience. Let us behold him together. I'm going to pray. Okay, we'll do it again. You're already up. Worship is an action of our spirit in which our body participates. Worship is a sacrifice that changes us, changes the circumstances around us. It's a corporate experience in which we behold him. Amen. All right, now let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your passion that is unending and that all we have to do is show up and you have been here waiting for us. You have been here calling us. You have been here saying, I'm so ready to fill you and we just need to crack open our hearts a little bit more and say, come And we just need to extend our hands to say, I'm telling you with my body that I'm ready for you to come I'm ready to sacrifice. I'm ready to bring you my brokenness. I'm ready to bring you my marriage that's falling apart. I'm ready to bring you my teenagers that I'm so worried about. I'm ready to bring you my anger over my little kids' weird behaviors. I'm ready to bring to you my broken self and those promises I know you've told me that aren't coming true yet and say, I'm here. I am here at your beautiful feet. And I lay myself down as a sacrifice to you. Would you fight my battle? Would you surround me with yourself and with your people? Would you fill me with your joy through every circumstance so that I can continually be walking and experiencing you in all time?
love to spend some time at the end of the service praying for each other. Maybe um, um, if you're just feeling nervous, maybe just turn to some folks next to you and ask for some prayer. But we're also going to have some folks, if y'all who want to help me pray for people, would come on up, stand up here at the front of the stage. Just come. If something from today has grabbed your heart and you're just ready to repent or you're ready to just say, Lord, I'm ready for more of you. What is it going to look like? What am I going to have to sacrifice to say, I want you to come in and fill me more? Then come on up. We'll pray with you. If you have something else um, you came with today, a circumstance in your life you need some encouragement on or a physical um, injury or problem, illness going on you want some prayer for, folks, we're going to be up here and pray with you. And don't, this is part of our transformation is humbling ourselves and praying together and experiencing that together. It's something that we can do that you can't get by watching church on YouTube. So take advantage of it. Come on up here and let us